Wolverine. Hello, and welcome to the Examination Podcast, where we examine the going on of X-Men comics. This week, we'll be talking about Powers of X number two, written by Jonathan Hickman and illustrated by R.B. Silva. I'm your host, Quint Nimler. Joining me this week is Dane Rainier. Hello. And Kelsey Strutt. Hello. Uh, special day of the day, Kelsey Strutt's birthday. So, uh, happy birthday, Kelsey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, reminding me of my mortality. Yeah. The old man of the group continues to get older. Well, I'm glad you mentioned mortality, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we were able to give you this uh, podcast as a gift, but one of the things we're going to talk about today is mortality, all these characters coming back, and we're really excited to jump in the powers of X. We have an uncanny show for you today, but first, let's hook up to Cerebro and check out what's new in the world of Marvel. I go. I want to go. Here's some news. Ryan Reynolds tweets Deadpool Phase 5 rumor. So there's two Deadpool movies out, as you know. Three, potentially, if you count the Christmas one. But um, is it real or no? Um, If you want to go to Ryan Reynolds' Twitter, he recently put out a a little tweet that had a bulletin board and some images, and it had, like, Phase 5 written on it and Taika Waititi, and people are acting like it's gospel or whatever. Do we care? What do you guys think? Uh, do we care? Yes. Is it real? Doubtful. It's more like, um, oh, the idea of willing something into existence. You know, kind of like how Vin Diesel got himself into a Marvel movie by telling everyone he's in a Marvel movie. <laughs> you gotta think, though, that killing Deadpool is throwing away millions of dollars. Oh, no. They, they will. There's a good chance they are willing to approach the idea. I mean... I don't think the studios are going to say no, but I don't think it was planned for Phase 5 by any means. I think it's going to be really tough to integrate that into what we have now as far as the the Marvel films, if for no other reason, uh, ratings. Because, I mean, we're looking at movies that are... I mean, Endgame just was the highest-grossing movie of all time, and you're not going to get that with an R-rated film. It just it has to be accessible to the PG-13 crowd. Says you. And I don't, I, there's no way, Deadpool can't be anything less than R. We've had a PG-13 Deadpool movie, though. <laughs> Did we? Okay. I, I'm just saying. I, I'm not saying it's good. but it's um, not, it's, That's not Deadpool. The, the question on my mind, though, is what do you guys think? Is is this Ryan Reynolds blowing smoke, going rogue, and just, yes. just doing this on his own? Or do you think it's yes. Kevin Feige approved? I, You're going, no? I, I, I'm going to say it's it's uh ryan reynolds but i bet there's at least one nugget of maybe accurate truth in there that seems like the thing that he would do is put one thing on a on a whole uh board of of ideas and one of them being true. i also uh, i think kevin feige would probably see it and just go huh yeah that, that that's a possibility yeah but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna shut the door on it ryan reynolds like i, I think it's just money in the bank and I don't. It'll take a lot to offend Kevin Feige because I think he's pretty smart about what movies to make, and clearly that guy poops money at this point. Well, even if they create uh, an X Force movie, yeah, maybe maybe that's how you get around the rated R is put him with a group of people and have him be not in so in your face all the time with everything. Who knows? Um, I think it's gonna be tough. That's what people have come to expect out of Ryan Reynolds. That's true. Shifting over the comics, uh, Guardian Galaxy number seven, not really something we're going to cover 
uh, extensively here unless there's a crossover between Guardians and stuff. But Hickman actually relates to this. If you read Guardians of the Galaxy number 7, uh, it featured Gamora and Star-Lord having a relationship for the first time in comic books. Uh, in the movies, it happened before. In the past, Gamora had a relationship with Nova during Annihilation era, uh, back when those cosmic books were so, so good. Um, and Adam Warlock back in the 80s. But she's never had a relationship with Star-Lord until the movies. So no, no one cares about that. I think it's fine. If you've been reading the comics at this point over the last year, it's been kind of earned. So no problems with that. But what I will say is the quote Hickman had in Entertainment Weekly. I wanted to share with you guys and see what your thoughts were. So um, this is Jonathan Hickman in Entertainment Weekly. He said, beginning quote, I think one of the big mistakes that some people make at Marvel Comics is that we are reactive to what they're doing in the Marvel films. We should not be taking our creative cues from the direction they're taking things in the movies. That kind of defeats the point, end quote. What are you guys' thoughts about that? I don't know that it defeats the point. And, I mean, I get it that in some ways they're kind of separate and they can't totally overlap. They're not an integrated multimedia. But I think it is really hard, again, and I hate to come back to this, but it's really hard to ignore the money that those movies make. And if you're trying to get new readers into comics... They're going to want to see similarities to what they know from the movies. Well, and and a, and a starting point, especially when yeah. you're bringing in a new audience. It, it's tough to bring an audience in to something like that, somebody who you know, enjoys the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy comic books, and to come back in and be like, you know, what, what's going on? How come there's no relationship building here between Star-Lord and Gamora? Yeah, I can, I can see that as being an issue, but uh, I do get Hickman's point. Um, mainly because the relevance of the comics is to be the stories that the movies pull from right now. Um, and they're yeah, afraid I mean, they're afraid that if they start pulling from the movies, it, it, it lessens their value artistically. I, I, I can agree with that. Yes. I, I'll say this. I think that... I don't think it's terrible to do something, especially starting point. I will say, you look at comic sales number, and if if you have not looked them up, it's it's pretty interesting. Like as these Marvel movies have ramped up and all these film universes and all that, really comic sales have done nothing to decline. And causation, causality, um, following the films has not led to better sales. That's inarguable. Now, is that because the writing has not been as good? The art hasn't been as good? Is it because the price of comics is going up and there's just not as much value? There's lots of questions, um, but we're still out on a, a straight answer with that one. Uh, I think something that hurts comics is art. Changing an art style. Um, like mid-run, you mean? Yeah, because with the movie, you know, or the, with, with the Marvel movies, you have seen a certain setup. They have a look. You know a Marvel movie when you look at it. Yeah. With a comic, if they change artists mid-run or if they're doing a weekly issue, they've changed artists on weekly issues where you've got, you know, four different artists going and some with drastically different styles. The X-Men have been really guilty of that. Um, but well, even... Adam, even. Well, was, continue. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't even think it's just the art. I think even from comic to comic, you know, because a lot of times it's so common nowadays to see somebody write like a six issue run or a 12 issue run true and then they're and then they're done and then that character can be totally different you know when you go yeah. see a movie you know what chris evans's 
um, Captain America is. And he grows as a character throughout the movies, and he, he changes, but it's it's still that same person. It's still one arc. Yeah, and it, it's who that character is. I mm-hmm. I think of it a lot as, you know, when you have those arguments you see over, like, the, uh, the alignment charts as to what a character is, and it's like when one person can point and justify, you know, one end, and somebody can point and justify the completely opposite end, that's just what you get when you've got writers and artists changing over in comics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I personally, I just feel like comics are going to have to find a way to give you that value. Because Kevin Feige is getting ready to do the Disney Plus shows, and it's going to be even easier to get affordable superhero content. And I, I just don't know if comic books are giving us enough right now to justify the cost, which is sad. So hopefully. Hopefully this uh, this run that we're enjoying right now continues and, and more people take cue from what Hickman's doing. Um, so next we're going to transition into our weekly questions. If you have any listener questions, you can email us at our email. It's q, as in question, dot examination at gmail.com. Once again, that's q dot e-x-a-m-e-n-a-t-i-o-n at gmail.com with your listener questions as well as Marvel 20 question suggestions. We'd be more than happy to feature those in the show. This week's question, what is your favorite X-Men story arc? What's your favorite X-Men story arc? Uh, Dane, you want to start us off with this? Yeah, I was thinking about it. I had it kind of coming down between two, but I think ultimately I'm going to decide on Second Coming. Second um, Coming. That's a crossover um, 2000s, right? Yeah, I think it was 2010. Um, I, I had debated maybe saying Messiah Complex, because that's kind of about the time that I got back into comics was Messiah Complex. But I think the second coming um, is the, the one that at least stands out more to me. The things that I really like about it, um, it you know, it features the, the death of my favorite X-Men, which is a really emotional moment. Spoilers for, you know, nine years ago. But... Um, I, one of the things that I really like about it is I think that's one kind of similar to what we're looking at powers and house right now where you know the mutants are kind of their own nation they're like hey this is this is our place this is what we're gonna do and for me it's th- this is really the era where Cyclops becomes a character that I just really 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 love that you know he's kind of transitioning more to that magneto style of the the magneto Xavier sides of the coin and he kind of he doesn't really serve as like an action hero in Second Coming, and I love the fact that he all of his work is as a leader, and he's kind of the the man in the chair coordinating all of these missions, and that's that's the Cyclops that I really really love, and that's one of the big reasons I love Second Coming. Yeah, Cyclops was really cool at that time, and I, I wasn't a huge fan of where Bendis took him after that, but I, I think that could be argued as uh, you know starting with Whedon's run maybe the point where Cyclops really peaked as a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Cyclops was kind of like, you know, a boring Boy Scout for like 40, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. And then that era, that Messiah Complex Second Coming era, that three or four years, whatever it was, that was really where I, I, I fell in love with Cyclops and have kind of stuck, stuck on it ever since. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, any thoughts? Uh, pure X-Men story. Uh, the Dark Phoenix Saga still ranks pretty stinking high yeah for you what, what about the story uh, resonates so well with you really probably just reading in my youth because you know you're you're dealing with Jean Grey who used to be I mean powerful 
ish, you know, but they really didn't flex her might until they really brought in the Dark Phoenix. When that started to run, then then you really saw what she could do. And also, your first kind of like big death that that meant something, quote unquote, I guess in comics. Well, and for a long time, especially for when you were growing time. up, formatively after that, she would be gone. Yeah, retired. Uh, another one. Another one that's. I'm I'm going to say it's an X Men story arc, but I guess it it covers everyone. Was How, House of M? Yeah, I think that's fair. House of M, I thought was just awesome. Yeah, it was a big the, game the whole, changer. Yeah, the the no more mutants, the you know, Wolverine waking up and and, and kind of that that what's that old song? This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. And, and he's he's aware that something is wrong. I do remember that. Yeah, wakes up and and he's head of shield and he knows he's not supposed to be, but everyone else is sure that he is yeah and, he, and he's like waking up next to was it rogue or mystique, mystique or somebody mystique mystique, mystique you know yeah um yeah and, and no one else is aware that that anything has changed they, they are still right. who they are all right so mystique is still mystique and magneto still magneto all these people are still them just in and different they are circumstances. so assuredly they're so assuredly sure that this is who they are in this world and it's like that you know it, it, it's it's just it's kind of a, a weird warped reality i just it was, it was it was a cool arc to read also i you know the social part and the historical um comparisons between our world and the x-men i i think it's interesting that you flip-flop the mutants to being the dominant species like population wise and and they're doing yeah. the same things that humans were doing to them essentially and i, I thought that yes. was interesting and kind of shows we're, we're all the same and there's circumstances and and uh, very clear X-Men message, even though they flipped the script a little bit. Yeah. Um, for me, it's just got to be Whedon. His run, um, starting with, uh, I think it was Gifted, and where he did like The Cure, and then Dangerous, and Torn, and oh, yeah. um, Unstoppable, I think was the last one. I'm, I'm a big Colossus guy, anybody will tell you that. And he took a pretty big lead role in that. And, and then, of course, Ghost Box after that, right? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so it's Astonishing X-Men, uh, Joss Whedon, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was in high school, as my senior year, and for me getting back in comics, I went to the comic shop and I picked up three comics, randomly off the shelf, hadn't been in a comic shop forever, hadn't seen a comic shop in forever, and... Spent $17. Well, back then it was less than 10 bucks. I picked up Civil War, I picked oh, up, randomly, randomly, check out this lineup of comics that were on the shelf at that time as new releases, Civil War... Astonishing X-Men Whedon and oh, Annihilation. All three of those books were in print at the same time. You want to talk about like a golden age of modern comics. Annihilation is probably one of my favorite arcs, period. Yeah. You, you grabbed some good ones there. Yeah, and I mean, it worked. They got me hooked. I'm doing a podcast now, and I don't, I don't think if I would have went at that moment in time, I would have really been hooked the way I am today. All right. Thank you to that local comic store. <laughs> Yeah, um, if you ever go to Jeff City, Missouri, uh, I think it's called the Aquamarine. Uh, it's in Jeff City. Stop by your local comic shops. They need all the help they can get. And even though I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna say it, new comics are really expensive. Go get some back issues. It's fun to find old stuff. It's so fun to find old stuff, even if it's not good. You can get value out of finding those old cheap back issues, and and you help somebody out. Oh, you go back and get some uh, '90s Spider-Man. Get some Maximum Carnage. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Great video. She didn't get that. It's time to bam fun over the Grey Mountain Lane. Or in this case, I suppose, maybe the Pacific Ocean, maybe an island of Krakoa, and recap what happened in Powers of X number two. Dane, will you recap for us real quick what happened this issue? All right. So we finally find out why this is called Powers of Ten. That we're looking at. It's not a joke. <laughs> it deals with math. In these factors of ten, that it, we have a set point, then ten years later, then a hundred years later, then a thousand years later. So we've got four stories. The first one we're looking at looks like it's ten years ago from where we're at right now. And there's Xavier, Xavier, and Mario McTaggart, and they're meeting on a park bench at a fair, kind of discussing the beginning of Xavier's dream and perhaps the start of the X Men. They don't know each other, but they do. And then we kind of realize maybe it's not Moira McTaggart, uh, and she knows who Xavier is, and we're kind of left wondering. That seems like it's going to be the big mystery. Our second story is present day, where we're at with the House of X number one, and Mystique hands over the data that her Toad and Sabretooth had hijacked to Magneto and Xavier. Then we jump 100 years forward, and it's a war where Sentinels and humans are eradicating mutants. And this is where we're introduced to Cybel, Rasputin, and Cardinal. And so Cybel's is a psychic hound who's bred to hunt mutants. Rasputin is this badass mix of five other mutants. And Cardinal is a pacifist priest. And the three of them are trying to fight their way out of some sentinels and these humans. Uh, but one of them gets captured and taken to Nimrod. And Nimrod looks like he's the like machine human leader. And the decision is made to hook their captor up to Nimrod's new like uh, mutant Wikipedia supercomputer to get all this information. And Rasputin and Cardinal return back to the mutant leaders, which appear to be Wolverine, Magneto, Zorn, and then a plant guy that's like maybe Groot, maybe Krakoa. Uh, we don't know yet. And then we get our last story, which is a thousand years in the future. And we have a blue looking humanoid, maybe an alien, uh, that's called the Librarian, attempting to maintain Nimrod's supercomputer. And now Nimrod's just kind of a small floating machine that talks to the librarian. And it looks like humans have been completely eradicated. Maybe mutants too, can't really tell. Uh, and that they only exist in the captivity of this yellow biodome. Yeah, um, great recap uh, from Dan as always. Uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. I think we can break it down kind of chronologically the way they did with the powers of Tin. And let's start at the beginning with uh, the dream. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but Moira and Charles definitely have an interesting conversation where they both seem confused. What do you guys think? I mean, it seems like this is setting up for this is the mystery, right? Um, Hickman even teased that it, you know, maybe a little jokingly, uh, tongue-in-cheek, that it wasn't the, the most important scene in the X-Men universe, but all of Marvel. So, I mean, this seems like it's going to be what we're trying to figure out the whole time. Who is this? Yeah, I, I like that he made a joke. And what Dane's referencing is on Twitter, Marvel somewhat obnoxiously put the most important scene in X-Men history. And they didn't have any of the, the word bubbles in this and in, in their tweets like a few weeks ago. And then Hickman kind of joked about it and said, we're kind of tooting our own horn. But yeah, I, I don't have any clue what's going on. So if the most important page just happened, I don't have any clue what happened. I don't necessarily know that, that was accurate advertising. It, it seems like they're keeping <laughs> it pretty pretty vague intentionally. It wants to be yeah. Something you're going to find out later and go, oh, yeah. 
So, um, what do you guys think of this exchange? What about you, Kelsey? Uh, what do I think about the exchange? Any theories? The what's going on? Or you want to give? You want me to give you my grand theory? Why don't you go for it, buddy? Okay. Well, I was mulling it over, and what I'm thinking is that this is an attempt to show Xavier what could be if he didn't take his pass or doesn't take his pacifistic route. Uh, like X to the zero power is is right now or is when he decides to create the X-Men and that the stuff that's ha happening in the House of X isn't actually happening. I feel like I'm getting the feeling that this is all a giant dream sequence. Hmm. So you're saying the House of X storyline that we saw last issue and the the world kind of X to the first power might not have actually even happened? Might be BS. It, it, they might be showing him that if, if you took this direct route, this is this is what happens to you as opposed to if you took your original route with the X-Men. Yeah. Um, Charles never says the word Moira in this, by the way, and, and the only way you know it's Moira by design is by looking at that little quote in the beginning section. Um, potentially there could be some misdirection there. Um, it also is implied this is the first encounter they've ever had, and she definitely knows him, but he doesn't seem to know her. I took thought this would be a good time to kind of reference some other comics that may be playing into this. One is Chaos War X-Men, which was a crossover from, I don't know, five, six, maybe more years ago, and all the dead X-Men came back, and Moira Matagret was one of them, and she read one of uh, the character Destiny's journal, and Destiny is somebody that can see the past, present, future, was alive um, around Sherlock Holmes' times, and anyways, um, it... There's some theories floating out there that maybe Moira that has somehow transferred to her past self where she saw the future because Destiny's possessing her and is kind of like a ghost um, outside of the time stream, and maybe that's going to change the way things have played out. Uh, I think that could be, but you got to think with Hickman, maybe he isn't going to do such deep cuts like that, that you know he wants it to be more accessible from a reading his book perspective. It's obviously dense once you're in here. Do you guys think he might be pulling anything from other comics, or do you think um, with this comic he's mainly trying to keep the big hooks and story arcs within the narrative? I'm not really familiar with how Hickman has done previous works, if this is normal behavior of his when he's writing, that he pulls a bunch from others. If he tends to do his own standalone story, then chances are it's going to be his own standalone story unless he just wants to completely be different than his normal self. But So I think it is going to pull at least from some stuff because I, I have a couple of theories. I think that the, the Moira might actually just be also Charles, but like a different part of Charles. Like Because I, I mentioned that last episode about how you know, since we've last saw Xavier, he died at the hand of Phoenix Cyclops. He was his brain waves were fused to the Red Skull. You know, there was all kinds of stuff going on that he's been in the realm. You know, the astral plane with the Shadow King. I, I think there might be part of him that's just kind of screwed up, and that his psyche's been so influenced by these villains in the last 
10 years or something that uh, that you know this might be a part of him also reacting well you think maybe he's got his psyche is actually physically broken yeah it's in, I mean, it's in not, multiple people yeah that, that i think well i think multiple people are in him in some ways because the other thing is i going way off the rails here he's in phantom x's body who has three brains yeah well allegedly he's, he's got room for more folk in there professor x is what? definitely acting different and that that also is very evident from um the present day the the world so we're gonna go ahead and transition over there the world uh there's a usb drive uh, real quick before we get into that though uh, Sabretooth last issue shows up. I wasn't aware. Did you guys know that Sabretooth actually was killed by Ileana Rasputin in uh, the X-Men comics recently? No. And he's here alive and well. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on with Hickman's run. People are back who seem dead. Uh, certain characters. I know they also reference Banshee being there and he's dead. There's a lot of dead characters who are currently in the, the comic that shouldn't essentially be yeah, dream sequence yeah dream sequence well there, well, there's Banshee. also the krakoa people being born so there's a lot of yeah. different theories out there the pod Ban- she's been back but as like zombie Banshee. oh i think he died again he got crushed by a sentinel when did that happen <laughs> uh, i think like last issue of uncanny x-men oh, okay so um staying back on topic sorry about that uh what's on the usb drive Tony Stark stuff. So you're still sticking with that damage control House of X reference. There, yeah. There was a little book. Yeah. Um, if you look at little excerpts where he has a little bit of informational sections, one of them is on um, damage control and Reed Richards and Tony Stark and, and that they were passing on each other's property to each other in the case one died, but there was a point where both of them were gone recently. And so damage control may have gotten some of their property. What do you guys think? Um, that that seems to be your theory, Kelsey. Yeah. So I, I'll say I don't know necessarily what's on it, but I do find it intriguing that we have very similar stories in that regard in House of X and Powers of Ten, because in the first one we have that like Brotherhood team finding this USB drive and bringing it back, and then in Powers we have our team of our you know three new introduced heroes. Um, also clearly going to what you know what's called the nexus to get something yeah. and to bring it back because i think even Wolverine some sort of data that, do, do you have it right so i don't again i don't i don't think that's by accident that we have kind of these mirrored stories a uh, hundred years apart yeah i agree i think when we learn about one we're going to learn a lot about the other yeah um theory i am kind of leaning towards right now is Maybe something to do with uh, Nate Richards, Nathaniel um, Reed's son. Maybe he has something to do with it. He's a mutant. Cyclops ref- referenced him last time. It's a deep cut, but that's where my mind's kind of going right now. Um, another interesting part in the world was uh, Cyclops kind of... Not Cyclops, but Professor X kind of forcibly takes the USB drive from Mystique. Now, it's not overly blown out, but he clearly doesn't grab it and it floats over to him. Anybody read yeah. anything extra into that, or am I just overthinking it? Doesn't he have Magneto standing next to him? So you kind of think Magneto may have just dragged it over without oh, saying anything? No, no, I don't. I just, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, it, it, it's an assumption that could be made. Magneto just moves it to Charles. But yeah. 
I know we've talked about Professor X acting so different, and is this Professor X? There's a lot of oh, options out on the board he, still. He's completely out of character. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was any big deal. Like, I, even just from the art, it looked like it maybe could have even been a toss that she she did toss it to Xavier. But uh, one way or another, I was interested to see that there was at least some level of defiance out of Mystique. So, because yeah. we had talked before about like this could possibly be Charles just like controlling everyone into his utopia, and so we know at least we've seen at least one character who doesn't. You know, she wasn't defiant, but but she didn't quite fall in line lockstep so that was an interesting yeah piece. i believe danes but if you go back and read house of x there's a scene particularly where gene comes in and almost looks a little skeptical and like where am i like what's going on and then professor x says it's okay and then you kind of see tears in her eyes and you don't know are these happy tears or or some other kind of tear um up next we have topic three the war uh kelsey what you think of the war was it cool um yes and no i mean yes the the, the art was great it, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on but also i've read days of future past i'm aware sentinels come in and kill lots of mutants so it, it, it's been done which hickman is aware of so it, it's it's i think that's going to lean towards something there's a reason it's been done that's why i go back on this dream sequence or this thought that the person is sharing with with professor x from the beginning this what also could happen you know no matter maybe no matter what you do this is how things end you know you always have this war no matter if you go the pacifist route or trying to have mutant and proud you know stuff it, 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 either way sentinels eventually come in this is what eventually happens you yes, don't think but, but days of future past didn't have marvel's chillest villain nimrod he is very chill well also we've got the our future past doesn't have, have nimrod does it you're well, right the... well i just mean super chill nimrod yeah <laughs> no it has regular nimrod doesn't it <laughs> well i would say even equally important maybe more impudent impudent Imputant. Imputant. say a mutant too much um maybe even more Imputant. important is our three new main characters uh for this war timeline it seems like uh Silobel, uh r.i.p potentially but Rasputin and Cardinal, both very interesting, oh. and both very different from anything we've had before from a Days of Future past S storyline. I thought Silo Sinister Bullets. creating Silo them was definitely cool. Definitely R.I.P. Yeah, she did. They show her a thousand years later, still in that tube. Ah, uh, time travel. I don't trust it. But um, uh, and, and Nimrod, I thought could time travel. Yeah, that's been in the past. He came to the present or something. I think that that's happened before. Yeah. Um, but. What you guys think of uh, the debut of this big mutant they've been kind of touting? Uh, both Rasputin and Cardinal have both been seen. What do you think of these new characters, Dane? Uh, I mean, I think they're obviously designed to do two very different things and have two very different reactions. In some ways, like Rasputin almost feels like a, a superhero that a kid drew up after reading a bunch of comics. You know what I mean? That was like, uh, I'm going to be able to walk through walls like Katie Pride, but... I'm going to be strong and made out of metal, you know, so... You mean Spider-Man? It <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like an amalgamation, and I get why, and they made, they did a good way of making it make sense. Um, and so, you know, I'm interested to see more about this character and to see the, the character develop. But it, it, you know, it feels like a kid writing their own, their first X-Men fan fiction. Um, and then I think, 
I don't know. Cardinal is odd and maybe a little off-putting for me just because of how much I love Nightcrawler because it's Nightcrawler is kind of you know sort of an X factor, unintentional. Um, but that you know he's different than the other X Men. How deeply religious he is that he uh, you know he has such a strong moral compass. But the thing that is always kind of juxtaposed that is he's that swashbuckler adventurer. He will always fight, maybe just not you know as viciously as a Wolverine. And so I don't know. For me, it's tough to see a very unexciting uh, Nightcrawler proxy. Yeah, I mean, but there, there's room for growth. I think it's interesting that they broke that religious component into a genetic thing that Sinister could program into them. So there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with that. And I, I do think there's room for him to to kind of break that mold that Sinister put him in. Personally, I agree, the childhood Rasputin thing, but, man, I gotta admit, it's cool seeing a cool character do cool stuff, and uh, she really took it to the Sentinels and those humans, and it was pretty neat to see her be a one-man army for me. Oh, no, no doubt about that, because for me, if if House of X was kind of like our intrigue thriller, you know, maybe like a, a Game of Thrones behind-the-scene political stuff, this one, it was nice to finally get some real action, and that she just leaps out and you know turns a sentinel to mist oh i love that they called the big sentinels tanks that that yeah for some reason that really seemed cool to me uh kelsey any um, thoughts about cardinal or uh, rasputin well one i don't think i don't think cardinal is a specific name i think it's a title right. given to all the pacifists yep like they're, they're the, all called cardinal they're, they're like the, the rejects but i i thought yeah. it was a um certain generation though that he did that to intention on it like he claimed unintentional at the time, but it was re- <clears throat> revealed to be intentional. Yes, but those ones are named Cardinals. And they're also all from Mars. Yep. Maybe that's why they're red. Who knows? Well, because they, you know, they planted one of those gates on Mars. So I, I'm more interested in just seeing what they do when they talk about the betrayal. I assume they will delve into it at some point. Uh, just in case people aren't aware, uh, Sinister was revealed on the cover of Powers of Ten, number five. So, um, and if you read kind of like the the notes that they have associated with issues four and five, I think they reference a betrayal, and that's definitely written into okay. the narrative around Sinister. So, I'm wondering if they're going to fill in the Sinister backstory between now and then, or if that's pretty much assumed from that informational piece and we just have to move on we'll see yeah i i hope i hope we get to see that because you know quentin you and i we talked about this a little beforehand before recording that it's incredibly dense this whole the whole storyline is and it kind of has to be to be this jumping off point but there's a lot of just dense book reading and not not comics really you know we're we're having to get told what's happening and not seeing it so i don't know for me it's it's going to be really disappointing if we don't get to see some of that happening for those reasons and because it sounds like some cool stuff to see yeah uh real quick we kind of skipped over silable kelsey could you quick um are you familiar with the hounds and and what that program that the sentinels did is and and what this yeah. black brain thing is yeah, the, the, the hounds are specifically mutants created by the Sentinel program to then hunt other mutants. And the black brain, if I recall, is supposed to kind of protect their brain from psychics, but also it, it gives them a natural tendency to betray, um, which is why they run into trouble with them, because then they 
naturally eventually betray the Sentinels and go back to the mutants. The, the, the program itself is scrapped. Yeah, that made it a little bit too good. Uh, kind of harkens back to Battlestar Galactica with the Cylons and, and infiltrating and stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's Cylobal. She ends up getting captured in this one, and they, they reference that they were unable to in, successfully interrogate her or extract memories from her brain since it's so uh, protected from psychic interference. So instead, Correct. they put her in Nimrod's little, like, I think they call it a bath at one point, and they said it could be tomorrow, it could be 100 years from now that they get the data they need from her. Um, so she uh, holds out. The bath almost looks like, oh, what, what was what were the pods that um, Mr. Sinister used to have? I don't remember what they were called, but I, there's definitely a Evolution visual cue. Evolution chambers or something like that. It, he used to have something that that you would put other mutants into. The big old bomb well, to tanks. Dude, yeah, pretty much. Hickman loves him some pods, man. There are there are pods on pods in these stories. Pods um, are very popular now. Pods so and pods. there's pod so theory on for our podcast. I I actually want to ah. I, I want to get back on a point here. Uh, there's four more characters that we haven't talked too much about. One, we've got the old man Logan. We've got Green Magneto. And and this is definitely in the future. Magneto is already an older boy. So it's interesting to see him, Zorn, and this Groot Krakoa. Nobody knows what it is. Uh, Groot seems like a deep cut. Uh, I'm going to imagine it's some sort of sentient Krakoa creature. Um, but I, I got a question for you. Is, is Magneto still a Holocaust survivor? Yeah, well, with Hickman, there's no telling. I think there's a legit chance that maybe this is a straight clone of Magneto, though. What was that? I, I was thinking there's a pretty good chance that this might just be a clone of Magneto. It's I it's so hard to tell with time in comic yes. books, you know, because we've been the X-Men have been out since the 60s, but the opening, like, the, the whole powers of 10 thing seems to indicate that everything that's happened in the history of the X-Men has happened in 10 years. Be like, Charles is discussing his dream of the X-Men 10 years ago. But, I, you know, I don't know if this is in Charles's head, or if they're, this big event is going to rewrite history or what. But, uh, yeah, you would think that they're going to have to explain something if that really is Green Magneto. Yeah, well, there's definitely 10 years between his confrontation with Moira and the earth or whatever you want or the what do you call it the world uh storyline yeah. it, it's hard to say i mean i it's a stretch but you could make the argument maybe that you could squeeze it in the 10 years but with comics there's a lot of hopping around i try not to let that bother me too much but i do think no, you can't you with, can't let that be a hang within this story a hundred years it i agree if magneto was around during world war ii as a child, it seems like well, if he's he... around in anything. A hundred years later, is still yeah. I, I I don't know enough about Zorn's physiology. Maybe he could live that long. And Logan, you know, they you can justify anything with his mutant well, power. Remember, they were capable of synthesizing a drug that extends human life by five years. So what's to say they didn't find a way to do that with mutant? Also life? true. Yeah. Side effect: you turn green. Yeah. Well, you're close to. Yeah. <laughs> so um moving on let's uh hop over to the ascension the final thing there's not really a lot to chew on but what we have is pretty interesting we see a yellow biome shield in the background we see this blue character with these weird uh facial markings kind of like omega probably just a coincidence uh just artwork um on their face but anyways they're 
they're at the city or something that we don't see a single soul outside of this one person and the Nimrod drone flying beside it. And Nimrod references that he has been collecting th- like samples and they're all starting to degrade and they're starting to lose the data. Um, and then they walk over to a yellow biome that seems to have what appears to be two humans inside of it. And they, they do some ominous talking about preserving kind of like dinosaur bones. What'd you guys take of the Ascension? Well, my uh, thing is that, like, looking at... It was interesting to me that I, I... Something caught me off guard in the last issue that they were they referred to mutants as the Homo sapien superior. I don't know, like, when I remember reading comics and hearing about it, they were always Homo superior. And so adding the three-part name just made me realize when they were talking about it in that four-story ascension, the, like... They said, oh, Homo sapiens, like, you remember those days? It makes me almost seem like like we're just at robots at this point like humans and mutants are are gone yeah and maybe an alien has come and and viewed what already happened yeah that or uh, they've they've combined that's true yes ascension denotes just like almost like an evolution too so it's very possible that nimrod's got all that data in him because they themselves, the machines, are becoming mutants. Yeah, because it is. So the lines are like blurred. Biological data. Yeah. So the lines have been blurred, you know, and they almost made it seem like the the, the mutants in the machines somehow figured something out with one another, and humans became bad, or humans became the enemy. Yeah. Well, and it, and. It, it, I was going to say this powers of 10 thing, you know, there's a big difference between a hundred years in the future and a thousand years in the future. Like there's 900 years between what we see with the Rasputin and Cardinal and what happens here in the Ascension. So there's a lot well, of time to fill. And they do mention that the Shi'ar have a good portion of the remaining mutants during the war exclusively at one point to possibly come back to the solar system yeah which the whole professor x is a huge wild card with that because um in case you haven't read before the she are these bird-like uh, aliens and professor x fell in love with one of their princesses i think her name was leandra or something like that yeah and um Correct. so it, it would make sense that she'd want to go back and reclaim and um and you know free the mutant people on behalf of charles but we definitely have a different charles than we're used to so there's no telling where they fit into this well in one of the summers is half shiar sure is part shiar isn't he vulcan why not vulcan <laughs> maybe so right he used to be he used to be the the um emperor of the shiar yeah, that, there was an Emperor right. Vulcan where they went into space. It was a pretty good yeah, story he's, arc. He, he's he's one of the Summers brothers, and, and he is exists in this House of X, because if you look at the list of Omega-level mutants, he is on it. Yeah. Um, also, he's featured on one of the covers for an yeah. upcoming issue. Oh, I haven't looked at the covers yet. Well, that's a yeah. good transition into the future. Um, next week, uh, the there's a reference to Moira's Mutant X. Something with Moira, X, and some sort of mystery. What do you guys want to see out of House of X next week? Are you hoping for any more answers? What are you looking for specifically? Always hoping for more answers. Um, specifically, it'd be nice it's on that data drive. Um, 
maybe flesh out the the relationships more with Xavier and you know the, those around him more personal relationships are they exist or is he still aloof from everyone um, and a few more answers on Krakoa I, 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 I desperately want to see if Xavier can leave Krakoa yeah I'd say for me I'm anxious to you know I, I'm really behind Rasputin personally like I enjoy seeing her on screen I'm rallying for every time I see her I'm also hopeful that Cardinal is going to step up in a big way um, that's what I'm referring to him as. The... Well, I doubt they'll show up in House of X. Well, um, that, that's true. But what I what I was alluding to is I want to see on that year 10, the 10 squared or whatever, I want to see um, the in the world timeline that House of X has been in, I want a character I can rally behind because right now there's a lot of characters doing random things and I have a hard time empathizing, connecting with any of them. So I don't know if it's going to be uh. Wolverine. I don't know if it's going to be Cyclops. I don't know if it's going to be this marvel girl um but it seems like one of those potentially could be maybe our perspective because professor x is not doing it for me what about you okay so i just had while we were talking about what we want to see a theory as to what's on the usb drive uh and that kind of ties into maybe what we see later on in the future is it i think that biodome that we're seeing the yellow dome is actually the world which you know is maybe kind of Acutely, what that second story is titled that you know the story we're in right now you know the uh the weapon project kind of uh you know plane within a plane where you can control time in order to like fast forward evolution which seems like that could really really tie into um you know the kind of this breeding thing with sinister and the hound program that that would be an incredibly valuable thing to have if you were trying to grow people and so and it even fits in the fact that Xavier's in the body of Phantom X who you know grew up in the world who's been strongly connected to that and I think it's possible that USB drive is like data or the ability to use that information to operate the dome because I think Mystique or Toad or somebody says something about how like that they were ripping information from multiple people at one time that could include the weapon project that they were trying to get that from because uh, Xavier even uses the USB kind of in the same room uh, there with that that dome that we see in the world and that pops up later in our fourth story ascension so that's well, are, that's are you saying they're all within that dome no I, I think because I, we can see the dome where Xavier is in mm-hmm. that, that second story so I think that he's probably at that point growing these mutants in yeah. the dome so i think that first scene that we see at the opening of house of x that like a very alien tree pop uh-huh. scene i think that's inside, inside the, the dome inside that okay dome. okay all right um going forward uh i i definitely can't wait to see uh what one of our theories is true maybe they'll completely surprise us and do something completely unique welcome to die i am magneto Master of Magnet. All right, it's time to transition to our exit activity. Let's put on our optic visors and enter the danger room as we play Marvel 20 Questions. The rules are simple. Kelsey and Dane have 20 questions to figure out a proper noun that is present in the Marvel Universe using only yes or no questions. When you guys are ready, you may begin. Is it a character? There you go. Is it a character? No. 
Is it a location? Yes. Is it a location strongly associated with the X-Men? Yes. Is it on Earth? No. Is it like a building or a physical like area? That's probably mm. not an ask. Those are both physical is, buildings in a physical area. I mean, like, is it like a, a zone or are we talking about like a building? I guess I'll ask oh, yes. is it is it a building? Uh, I would not define it as a building. No. Okay, non-building. Does it orbit the Earth? No. Is it in the solar system? Mm, I do not believe it is in the solar system. No. Location. Is it associated with a villain? Uh, yeah. Is it a separate plane of existence? No. Yeah. Oh. Is it planet-sized? No. Is it larger than a planet? No. Um, it... pause here. What I sorry, I lost track of question. How many are we on? Did you keep track in? Yes, I have. We are on see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That was our tenth. Okay. Alright, so you guys are at ten questions. Correct. Is it smaller than a moon? I would say yes. Is it an asteroid? No. Yeah. Well, no, that orbits the planet, jackass. There are different asteroids. No, Family that's friendly. true. Let's Family keep friendly. this uh, new mutant friendly. I was talking about donkeys. New mutant friendly. Donkeys. Um, I don't know much about the this space stuff. Might be a good time to slow down and think about um, what you have so far. Like, maybe re what recap. What do we have so far? Well, we don't know that it's in space. Nothing we've asked. It's not in our you solar system. You asked if it was in our solar system. Yeah. Well, right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's... So where else would it be? It's not It's not interdimensional. It's not another plane of existence. It's not in the solar system. It's not smaller than a moon, so it's not microscopic. It's not on Earth. Wait, do we say it's not smaller than a moon or it is smaller than a moon? I said it is probably smaller than a moon. Oh, you did. Okay, it is smaller than a moon. Probably. We'll just Maybe. assume that means it is. Perhaps a moon. And it's, and it's associated with the X-Men? Yes, strongly associated with the X-Men. Strongly associated with the X-Men. I think you said is it mainly associated with the X-Men. Yes. What do they do out in space? X-Men do a lot of stuff out in space. I know, but like at a location. More than a moon. Is it metallic? Uh, 
no, I as a it could be. I mean, what? <laughs> it it is metallic in the sense that like I'm sure there's metal there. So there is metal there. I guess, I guess a better question would be is it primarily metallic? Is over fifty percent of its surface metallic? Do you want to ask another metal? question? Do you want no, do you want to burn another question on that one? No, I'm not burning another question on that. I just I mean, should I refine my question so that it's easier? I think I think I gave even... you enough when I said it. It has metal there. <laughs> it still that's helps. Not, that, I'm not going to give you that free information. That's it. it has metal there. Five questions. Metal left. there. Is this a city? Yes. Cities are out in space associated with the X Men thing. Oh. It is it associated with a game show? No. No. Well, I'm all out of ideas. Three questions left. Did Whedon write about it? No. Ooh, two awesome. two questions left. You may have burned me. That was maybe all I had. Um it's space. I, it's in space. Yeah, it's in space. It's not in the solar system. It's smaller than a moon. It's a city. I'll I'll say this. Um we brought it up like I'm gonna give you this because you lost last time. At the finals door, so oh, oh, we need the help. There's pity. There's there pity. has this has been brought up, kind of at not specifically this place, but we've definitely talked about a story arc that took place here, and it definitely got brought up in the podcast today. This something people. about Kelsey. You think it's Shiar? If it is, I don't know any Shiar cities. I don't, I don't know any Shiar cities. Uh, I I don't know. Hey, yeah, I don't know what it's called. We better we better pray their capital city is called Shiar City. Uh, places talked about. It was brought up today in the podcast. You guys have one more question and a guest. Shiar, is it Shiar? <laughs> you know Shiar is not a city. We said it would be Shiar City would have been the place. No, that was our last question, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm counting that as a win. Kelsey, mark it Victory. Up. Victory. One, baby. We're coming for you. All right. Coming so that that was a generous one. You guys have been on a, a lost streak. Um, I, I think you guys need to do your homework before next week. Maybe uh, read a little bit more. I usually try to find a way to tie in an X-Men issue that we've had. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Thanks again for listening. Next week, we'll be looking at House of X number two. Please help us get recognized as Omega Level Podcast by rating us five stars in your favorite podcast app. And give us a review that would make us mutant and proud. You can visit our blog at examination.blogspot.com. That's E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N.blogspot.com. Until next week, true believers, we're out.